Well, well, well. <laughs> See what I did there? Wells. <laughs> wells. Well, well, wells. It's funny. It's funny because there's two L's in that one. Of course there's two L's because I am Pastor Wells and I am twice the Lutheran. Although we've all together probably surpassed being twice the Lutheran by now. And we're all better off for it. Welcome back. Happy to have you. You know, last time I asked you to get in touch with me, and I forgot to tell you what the email address is again. So a reminder, get in touch with me, podcast at twicethelutheran.org. That's the email, podcast at twicethelutheran.org. You know how much I love you? I love you enough to slog my way through what is currently a blizzard. I'm looking out the window. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's deadly but not deadly enough to keep us apart, friends. That's how you know I love you. We finished, finally, the Sixth Commandment. I think it took us four or five episodes. I lost count. It was a wonderful journey. If you have not yet heard the podcast and you're a new listener, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you. Second of all, you're way behind, so go back to the first episode. Start over, catch up. We'll see you when you when you get here again. I suppose you could just keep listening anyways. Why not? If you haven't yet, please do share the podcast. That's the biggest thing. And, boy, you guys really have 1,500 downloads we're downloading more episodes faster. That's wonderful. Looking for that 2,000 download mark coming up fast. Keep sharing, please. Please. Well, as you know, whether you're an old listener, is that the word? Are you old listeners? Long-time listeners. Let's go with that. That's a little more flattering. Whether you're a long-time listener or a new listener, you know that we are journeying still through Luther's small catechism. Having finished the Sixth Commandment, we are, of course, on, drumroll please, the Seventh Commandment. Yep, that's how it works. Ten Commandments, we're on number seven. Here's what the Seventh Commandment says, you shall not steal. And here's that good Lutheran question, what does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not take our neighbor's money or property or get it by dishonest dealing, but help him to improve and protect his property and means of income. Have you noticed that in all of the, the meanings to the commandments? We sort of had this have this two-part, what to not to do and what to do. So what to not to do, according to the seventh commandment, do not Take your neighbor's money or property or get it by dishonest dealing. And what to do? Help him improve and protect his property and his means of income. There is a lot involved in this commandment. I think sometimes we brush it aside and we think, yeah, 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 don't shoplift. Yeah, 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 don't steal an old lady's purse or something. Sure. Granted, that's all included. But it's a lot deeper than that. In fact, it goes to the very heart of the issue. Why does God give us possessions? And why does God give some possessions to some people but not to other people? And how are we to regard not just everyone else's possessions, but how are we to look at the blessings, the physical possessions that God has given us? If he says, these are yours, no one else is free to take and steal them, nor are you free to take and steal someone else's, then he must have a pretty good idea in mind of what he wants done with all the stuff he gave us. That's all involved in this commandment as we're going to dive in and see what, is, what does God have in mind? What does he desire when he gives gifts to his people? The opening of this commandment has us asking that very same question. If you are following along, I'm on page 91. We have made it. Are you, did we really make it 91 pages? <laughs> We're doing pretty good. 
we're doing pretty good. Boy, I might actually have some people convinced this is a real podcast. Well, we didn't read all that. I mean, we started at what, like page 25 or something. I don't know. Let's get back to the task at hand. Question, first one asked of the seventh commandment, how does God want us to, uh, how does God give us? Let's start there. (laughs) How does God give us our money and property? So how is it that you obtain things in this world? If stealing is illegitimate way to get things, then how do you get things? Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you will eat your bread. You remember that that was part of the curse given to Adam after the fall into sin. God says, okay, you're going to work. And that was, that was always a plan, by the way. Adam was a worker. But now something's going to change. There's going to be uh, a, a curse on the work. So now it's going to be by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread. So you are going to have to work hard to get stuff. And in this case, the stuff is the food. you got to work hard to get your food. And that, by the way, is sort of a blanket promise across the board, which has big implications for those of you who are looking for the perfect career. It doesn't exist. (laughs) No matter what you're doing for a job... For a career, no matter what you're doing for your work, it's still that four-letter word, which means it's not going to be perfect. That was part of the curse. Work is like work. you got to work at it. Now, that doesn't mean there's obviously not blessings in it. You can enjoy your work. I do. I love being a pastor. I love being with you on this podcast. It's awesome. But even as a pastor, there are those days when I'm thinking, I just don't want to. It's just a heavy lift today. I just don't want to. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Work is hard no matter what you're doing. It's going to have all jobs, all careers, all tasks, every days. Every days. There are days. They are not every days, but there are days when I don't want to, and that's going to happen. Now, what if what if somebody says, well, I can solve that problem. I'm just not going to work. There, that solves it. Second uh, 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 uh. Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. If anyone does not want to work, he should not eat. Indeed, we hear that some among you are idle. You're sitting around, not doing anything. And hear hear what the apostle says. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and urge these people to work quietly and eat their own bread. No freeloaders. Okay? Now, notice Paul did not say if the person doesn't work. He says if the person doesn't want to work. So we're talking about not ability, but motivation. If you have the God-given abilities to work and you choose not to, this is poor stewardship of your time. It is poor stewardship of the talents and gifts and energy and abilities God has given you. And it is a burden on the kingdom of Christ and finally on, on society too. If someone's going to sit around, Paul says, and even though they could work, they could legitimately work, if they're just going to sit around, they should not eat. Well, how heartless. You're going to starve them. No, they're starving themselves. Paul is not saying we shouldn't have compassion on those who can't work by physical or, or mental incapacity to do so. But we should absolutely expect if somebody is able-bodied, they should be working, contributing to society. And boy, haven't you seen this turned on its head, huh? Along with along with uh, 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 sexist, racist, misogynistic, all the istics and isms we like to throw around, now we have a, a despising of God, God's gift of abilities. That's ableist, they'll say. That's ableist. I mean, these are just... These are new terms, okay? 
These are fabricated terms. And oftentimes at the heart of that is this desire, I don't want to work because work is hard and work is whatever. You have to guard your heart against that, by the way. Our sinful nature does not like to work. That's why part of us loves snow days as I'm looking out my snowy window. And I know I've got kids sitting at home. The sinful nature loves the excuse not to work. The sinful nature loves snow days. I bet the new man loves snow days too. Don't get me wrong. Snow days are okay. I'm just saying is all. Okay? I'm just saying is all. Now what happens if you are able to work and you do work and you work hard and your hard work is rewarded? Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, you might say in your heart, my ability and the power of my hand have earned this wealth for me. But then you are to remember that the Lord your God is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth, to confirm his covenant that he promised to your fathers with an oath as he does to this day. Okay, so we can, on the one hand, despise work and avoid work. On the other hand, we can be threatened by making work too much a source of our individualistic pride. I am so stinking good at my job. Look at how well I've done. Look at the income I've produced. Look at how full my fridge is. Whatever, whatever your measurement is. Look how big my bank account is. We are urged in that passage in Deuteronomy, when that is the case, remember that the Lord your God is the one who gave you the ability to produce wealth. So notice the apostle, or the, the book of Deuteronomy, the writer there, it's not saying, don't earn a bunch, don't do good. Don't do well, don't work hard, because look out for your pride. No, no, that's not what the Scriptures are saying. The Scriptures are saying, yes, embrace the work the Lord has given you. Pray that it is prosperous. Pray that you do do well. But when that is the case, fall on your knees to Christ in thank-filled appreciation for the gifts he's given you. He didn't have to do that for you. He doesn't have to fill your bank account and your garage and your home and your fridge, but he does. So don't forget to say thank you. And God even gives you the ability to say thank you with the very things he's blessed you with. We're going to talk about that later on. Yeah, I know. We're going to talk about money. I know. Sensitive subject. But the Lord has given you a way to use your physical blessings to say thank you to him. Genesis 24, 35, and 36. I'm now on page 92. Already, already in the before 15-minute mark in the, pro, in the podcast, we've made it a whole page. <laughs> We're on a record. Here's what it says. Parenthetical statement. When Abraham's Abraham's servant went to find a wife for Isaac, God directed him to the family of Bethuel. The servant described how God had blessed his master. And here's what he says. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great. The Lord has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son for my master when she was old. My master has given him everything that he owns. So he's rich. I mean, you'll find that running throughout all of the Old Testament. These guys, the patriarchs, were stinking, filthy, rich. They were. They measured their wealth differently, of course. They didn't measure it by, you know, how big the house was. They measure it with flocks and herds, silver and gold, 
male and female servants, camels and donkeys. So if you read throughout the whole Old Testament, these guys have a lot of people and a lot of animals and a lot of goods the way they measured them. Why? Because they had big families. And they used that that wealth to support and grow their families. Which is maybe a point we could pause there for a minute and say, God does love big families. We've talked about this before. And if God has given you a big family, you don't need to be worried about the economics of it. That is a blanket statement. Do you know that? I can tell you that without qualifying it. Do you know why? Because God owns all the other stuff too. Do you don't think that he can give you just exactly what you need? How many houses does God own? The answer, all of them. Do you think he can give you one place to live? I bet he can. How much food does God own? All of it. Do you think he'll give you just a little bit day by day? I bet he will. I bet he does. How much money does God have? All of it. Yep, yep. So do you think he can give you just a little portion of it? I bet he does. So the question is not, will God take care of you? Will God give you what you need? The question is, will you be content with what God does give? Uh, that's, that's a harder ask, isn't it? So the Lord loves big families. The Lord gives and supports even big families. So when you hear people talking about, uh, well, you know, you got to have an abortion because they just can't afford that baby. Baloney. Can we just say that nowadays? <laughs> of course you can. I'm not saying there's not stewardship principles involved. Surely. Surely there are. But to say that you can't do it because what? Because what? The Lord will provide. The Lord does provide. Let's grab a few more passages. Another couple parentheticals. Genesis 23, 1 through 18, Abraham used some of the wealth God had given him to purchase a field and a cave as a burial place for his wife, so he bought some land. Luke 15, 11 through 20, the prodigal son asked for his inheritance. And if you know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you are evil, this is math. Oh, I'm, I skipped one. I skipped one. 1 Kings 21, 1 through 15, Naboth had inherited his vineyard. So we were saying, how does God give you blessings? How, does God, how do you get stuff in a, in a God-pleasing way? Well, first you work for it. <laughs> you use your abilities. The second way he gives you stuff, you can inherit it. Now, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? We even nowadays, we, we, we tend to kind of look down as a society by and large and scoff, well, <laughs> he, didn't work, he inherited that. That's all inherited wealth. And so we despise that. Why should we despise that? You know what an inheritance is, right? A thing you get, a blessing you get that you didn't work for, somebody else did. Usually dad or grandpa or whatever, a cousin or an uncle. And they worked for it faithfully, diligently. The Lord blessed it so that it became a nice little pile of extra. They didn't have to use it all. And when they leave the earth, they're done with their blessings, they leave what they've accumulated behind. That's a blessing called an inheritance. That is a legitimate way the Lord can give you blessings through an inheritance. And that is a beautiful picture of how you get to heaven, right? How do you get to heaven? You have received blessings and riches that you did not accumulate. In fact, that you could not accumulate. There is a pile of perfect, sinless, good works that you were not able to do. But Jesus did. And instead of hoarding all of that perfection and glory, instead of keeping it for himself and rising without going through death, just going right up into heaven and waving at us as he went, that's not what he did. He went to the cross so that he would give you the great big pile of blessings that he accumulated so that it would become yours. 
you have an inherited blessing. Jesus Christ, in fulfilling God's law, gives you all that pile of good works. So heaven is now your inheritance. Cool, huh? So in that inheritance is a beautiful picture. Things, blessings that are handed to you out of love that you never worked for. Now, one more passage here, Matthew seven eleven. Uh, this one, by the way, how does this verse work? This is a, what we call an argument from the lesser to the greater. Listen to this. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you're evil, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, sorry, I had to pause the podcast there for a minute. I know for you it was like milliseconds. For me, it's been a minute. I don't remember what the last thing I said was. But I think I was talking about that argument from the lesser to the greater with Matthew 7, uh, verse 11. So, first of all, how can you get stuff? You work for it. You get it as an inheritance. Or, here, Matthew 7, it comes to you as a gift. And if you, here's how the argument works, if you, though you're way down here in evil because you have sinful hearts, if even you can give good gifts, imagine the gifts God can give. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. We're down here, God's up here. If we can give good gifts, do you think that he, who is the highest and ultimate good, do you think he can give good gifts? The answer is apparent, right? Yes, of course he can. Yes, of course he does. So how does God make sure you get stuff that you need that, by the way, he knows you need? He lets you work for it. He lets you inherit it. Or he just gives it to you as a gift. People can just give you the things you need. What a blessing. Question 79, page 92 still. Because God is the source of all our blessings, what will our attitude be toward the things we have? This is really where the the word steward comes into play. You've heard stewardship. This is where that comes from. Stewardship, generosity, it all comes and begins with this fundamental understanding. All the things are God's. Everything in the world is God's. Everything in your house, it's not yours, it's God's. Everything in your garage, everything in your bank account, everything in your fridge, everything in your dresser drawers, God's, 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 God's. It's all his. He owns it all. He can do whatever he wants with it. But you know what he's chosen to do with it? Chosen to done with it. Yeah. (laughs) You know what God has chosen to done with it? He done given it to you. Of all the places... That food and those clothes and that house and that car, of all the places, all those things could have been, of all the people who could have owned it, it's yours. You own it. God decided those things were the right things for you specifically to have, not for somebody else. So do you think that he's got an opinion on how you should treat those things and what you should do with those things? But of course, of course he does. When you look at stewardship through that lens, that first and foremost, everything, period, full stop, everything is God's. My house, my own body, my children, my wife, all God's. What should my attitude be towards those blessings that he's given me? James 1.17, every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows, who does not change or shift like shadows. Psalm 107, 8 and 9, let them give thanks 
Well, that's a pretty good place for us to start. What's our attitude towards the things God has given us? Let them give thanks. We should have a thankful attitude to uh, to the Lord for his mercy and his wonderful deeds for all people, as you see them in Jesus Christ. Because he satisfies the desire of the thirsty and he fills the desire of the hungry with good things. He knows that you need stuff, things. And so in his goodness and in his wisdom and in his mercy, he has given you stuff, things. But every time he gives you a gift, he takes a risk. He takes a risk that you will love the gift more than the giver. So do you? Or let me ask it to you this way. If the Lord who owns everything and all the things you have, if he decided today to take it all away from you, what would your attitude be? If you left the house in the morning and you just walked out, you were going for a walk or a jog or whatever, and you came back and your house was burned down to the ground. God forbid it. But you pull back up to the curb out front of your house and you see a smoking pile of ashes and ruins and rubble. Now what's your attitude towards God? He can reveal in our hearts that we tend to love our stuff more than him. And you remember what he did with Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. Take him out to a mountain, I'll show you, and give him there as a sacrifice and offering. The Lord was going to present Abraham with this very scenario. I'm going to take away the thing that you love. Then what? So don't sneeze at what Abraham went through to obey God and go up that mountain and start thinking about and even approaching giving away the very thing he loves. And at the last moment, the Lord says, Stop! Now I know. And what's he really saying in there? Now you know. Now I taught you something. You learned that your faith and your trust in me is greater than your faith and trust in stuff. Hard lesson, but a beautiful one. Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything that fills it, the world and all who live in it. Our attitude of stuff, of stewardship, begins there. It all belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So you have the stuff. Now what are you going to do with it? You need to be found faithful using the stuff, the gifts that the Lord has given you, in the way that the Lord, the giver of the gift, wants that gift to be used. We're going to talk about that coming up. That's what stewardship is. You are stewards of his blessings, which is exactly what Matthew 25, 14 through 30 says. And this is the parenthetical summary. God teaches us that we are to manage the gifts he has given us to the best of our abilities. Notice, to the best of our abilities. We are not all created equal in the abilities column, are we? I know that full well. I am not created equal in my attention to detail with my wife. She goes above and beyond in seeing the details and the things and taking care of them and attending to them as the Lord would have her. It's beyond my ability. I don't know why. God just didn't wire me that way. I look, I overlook a lot of the little things. And God bless her. And I know you're listening to this podcast, Kate. God bless you for being patient with those shortcomings. So the Lord, when he looks at us and all the gifts that he's given us, he knows we're not all created equal. Maybe some of you can manage $10 million. Yeah, great. That's in your ability range. Maybe you can't. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, well, gee, I, you know, 
I really wish the Lord would give me a million dollars. Maybe you don't know what kind of jerk you'd be if you had a million dollars, huh? Maybe you don't know. But the Lord knows your abilities better than you do, and he gives you gifts in line with that and asks you, manage these as best you can with the abilities I've given you. So we are stewards of God's blessings. Not everything that you have was given to you for your own enjoyment. We're going to get into that. Some of it's to be used in a different kind of way. Now there's one other thing that... I don't know that the catechism necessarily brings this out, but we're going to bring it out because we're even more Lutheran than the catechism. We're twice the Lutheran. <laughs> I don't feel good about what I just said. We're Lutheran because of the catechism. <laughs> All right. What is it that I'm talking about? I'm talking about the idea that you think you wake up in the morning as the rightful owner of 24 hours in a day. You're not. Your time, your time belongs to the Lord. You are not the rightful owner of 24 hours in a day. The Lord is. He's given you, as a steward, the time of your day, those 24 hours. And he's got a high opinion on what you should do with those 24 hours. And here's a hint, not all those hours are for you. Our stewardship isn't just of stuff. Our stewardship is even of time and how we use it. And that's a big thing to remember in this age of distraction. They now say that the most valuable, uh, what do you say, commodity? I'd say the commodity. The most valuable commodity in the world now is, drumroll please, attention. That is now the most valuable commodity in the world, attention. Everybody is trying to get your attention. And in a world filled with distraction, attention is very hard to get out of somebody. But it is a matter of stewardship, isn't it? So it's Sunday morning. And it's really nice and warm in the house and you don't want to go outside. But you haven't spent any time in God's word. That week, what does your stewardship of time direct you to do? I hope it's go to church, right? (laughs) Go to where God's people and God's word are. Go to where the word and sacraments are. That's part of our stewardship of time. It is not good for somebody to say, all of my time is for working, I can't possibly get to church, Pastor, because my work schedule demands such and so. Oh? Oh. Here I thought you were the steward of your 24 hours. What does the Lord say to that? That's poor stewardship of time. And the other other way around is true. I can't possibly have a job, Pastor. I got to sit at home and pray and read my Bible all day. Uh Uh-huh. So you become so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good, huh? (laughs) Part of the stewardship of time. It's a balance. We're always trying to strike that balance, and it is so difficult. Time is part of your stewardship, too. It is part of the gifts God gives to you, and he's got an opinion on how he wants you to use them. All right, let's talk about that. What are the reasons that God has given you, specifically we'll talk about what's what's the reason God's given you money. Question 80. Our money and possessions are blessings that we can use in many ways. Duh, right? Okay. So for what purpose does God give these blessings? 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own family and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Holy cow, that's a statement. Worse than an unbeliever? Why? Because even unbelievers recognize that you have some obligation in some way to your family, to provide for your family. 
Even unbelievers recognize that. Apart from church, apart from God's word, apart from the law, even unbelievers would say, hmm, if I father a child, I probably owe something to that child. Duh. So if even unbelievers recognize that, let's let's apply what we learned earlier in the podcast, argument from the lesser to the greater. If the unbelievers recognize that, then how about those of us who are so blessed to live with the law and the gospel, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are Lutherans, and especially those of us who are twice the Lutherans, shouldn't we recognize that we have an obligation to take care of our family? Of course we do. Of course we do. Now, do you owe the the same thing to each member of your family? No. That nope. What you owe to your wife stewardship wise is different than what you owe to your children stewardship wise. And what you owe to your children is different than what you owe to your parents stewardship wise. And what you owe to your parents this year stewardship wise might be different than next year. But there is an obligation there, isn't there? Of course. So we carefully and prayerfully work to meet those obligations because this is the one one of the four ways that God wants you to use your money. And by the way, there I just gave you a a look into the future, right? The catechism teaches us there are four things God wants us to do with our money. This is what the scriptures teach us, I should say. Four things. First of all, take care of your family. You got to feed your kids. You got to clothe your kids. Use your money to do that. Buy them food. Buy them clothes. You got to use your money to get them some health care if they need it. You got to use your money for some transportation because they got to get to school and church and all, and everything in between, and you got to get to work. Good. Yep. Use your money to do that. Take care of your family. And if you're in a family and you're still able to work, you should do that. If you're in a family and you want to be a stay-at-home mom, do that. But use those resources that you've been given for family care. Time and money are used for family. But that's not the only thing. 1 John 3.17, whoever has worldly wealth and sees his brother in need but closes his heart against him, how can God's love remain in him? Answer, it can't, right? You can't see human beings in need and turn towards them with, a, with this callousness that says, I don't care. Now, why is that harder to do than we sometimes think? Well, let's go back to the, the other passage we read. He who doesn't want to work shouldn't eat. And so sometimes we see those who seem to us at a glance to be perfectly able-bodied and able-minded to work, and they're not. They're out here panhandling. There are plenty of people doing that, gaming the system. So you could forgive a person for being just a little bit jaded and maybe even a little bit skeptical of everybody in the world looking for a handout because the reality is many of them could be working, they're choosing not to. And our society seems to promote that, right? with the welfare benefits and things like that. We're at a point in society where people may turn down extra work and promotions and assets or whatever because it might interfere with their Social Security income. That's what we call it in America. I don't know what they call it elsewhere. Now, don't get me wrong. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to despise that whole system because certainly there are some people who, who need it, and, and I want it there for them too. So this is the second way God wants us to use our money, to help for the poor and the needy. So use your money and your time and your talents and your resources for your family. Also make sure there's a a portion there for the poor. And the Lord always did that, right? As you read through the Old Testament, what did the Lord say even about crop harvesting? Go read that. These are the laws of gleaning. Go, go through your field and, and, uh, and, and do a harvest, but, you know, be a little sloppy in your harvest. Why? Well, because if you leave a little bit behind in the field, then the poor people, they can come and, and c- kind of clean up behind you. They glean something from that, and you let them have that grain. 
But notice the Lord did not say, take some of the grain, you know, like gift wrap it, walk it over to the poor person and place it in their hands. <laughs> so even for the poor, the Lord said, well, you got to do a little work here too. Get up and go to the field and go glean. And if you want to read the story of Ruth and Boaz, or how the Lord really blessed Ruth when she was being faithful and she said, I'm needy, I'm going to go glean. And Boaz was faithful and made sure there was something there to glean. And now all of a sudden, you fast forward, love story, they're married, they're in the line of the Savior. Wow. <laughs> you could say a lot of that is because uh, it has application here to the seventh commandment. So use some of your, your money for your family care and for the poor. Romans 13, 6, and 7. Here's the third way to use your money. For this reason, you also pay taxes. Because the authorities are God's ministers who are employed to do this very thing. Pay what you owe to all of them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed to God, to his people. Honor to whom honor is owed to God. So you use your money to pay taxes. And look, man, (laughs) I get it. I get it. I love paying my taxes about as much as I like getting stabbed in the eye with a sharp stick. And I don't say that because I like getting stabbed in the eye with a sharp stick, right? And I've heard even good Christians say, Pastor, look what they're doing with our taxes. We're funding abortions and we're, and we're murdering. And, and, and the list goes on. And I go, man, I get it. My, my heart is with you. Those things drive me nuts too. And so they'll say, yeah, so this year I'm not paying my taxes. Oh. Whoops, pump the brakes. (laughs) No, no. Why do we pay taxes? Because Romans 13, God told us, pay taxes. But what if they use that money in evil, wicked ways? No doubt they will, brother. No doubt they will, sister. But that's on them. That is not my role or your role. It's not our responsibility. That blood will be on their heads. This does get to the the issue of the table of duties. That's in the catechism, too. We'll get to that sometime. But Luther taught us, be very careful about the role that God has given you, the responsibilities God has given you. You're not responsible for just absolutely everything in the world. Good example of it, Sarah McLaughlin in that heavy-handed commercial about the poor and needy cats and dogs just because she says all of those cats and dogs, you got to give some money to take care of them. Just because she says all the cats and dogs who are needy in the world are my responsibility, can she do that? Is she right? <laughs> well, no. So who does get to tell me what my responsibilities are? God does. God does. And Luther helped us recognize that in the table of duties. We'll look at that sometime later. You can look it up, of course, on your own. So when it comes to taxes, is it my job and my responsibility my responsibility to set the tax code? No. Is it my responsibility to decide exactly how the taxes are used? No. My interaction with those laws ends when I cast my vote. But the Lord does tell me that my job is to pay the taxes and revenue that I owe. Not because they out there in the government tell me I have to, but because God does. So do you think that God can bless you if you pay your taxes? Which is another way of saying, do you think God will bless you if you do what he asks you to do? The answer, of course, is yes. God will bless me if I do what he asks me to do. Well, he asks you to pay taxes. So do you think he'll bless that? Use it for his good and his outcome? Yep, then pay your taxes. So use some of your money for family care, for the poor, and for the taxes. Now, there's a lot, there's a big conversation to be had, especially in the United States. To what degree do does charity and taxes overlap? They do. Because a lot of your tax money does go into social programs that take care of the poor. Now, we could argue whether or not those dollars given in your taxes actually make it to those programs and actually help the right people at the right time, oh, we could argue that till we're blue in the face. 
But if you really do want to make sure that your dollars go to help the specific people at the specific time in the right place, then find a charity outside the taxes that'll do that. You might even have a fund like that at your church. We do here at St. Mark's. We have the Good Samaritan Fund, and that's a, that's a time when we make sure that every last dollar goes to support the person I want it to support. And we're even able to have ongoing follow-up contact that maybe the government's not able to do uh, through taking care of the poor by taxes. So if you really want to stick it to the man, <laughs> go find a charity and give what you can. Okay, final one, 1 Corinthians 16.2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to set aside, set something aside in keeping with whatever he gains, saving it up at home so that when I come, no collections will be needed to carry out. And a follow-up kind of to that one, 2 Corinthians 9, each one should give as he has determined in his heart, not reluctantly or under pressure because God loves a cheerful giver. You know what we're talking about there. This is the fourth way God wants you to use your money. Give at church. Give specifically for the preaching of the gospel. We call that generically giving an offering at church. Now, what are the principles established here for for a cheerful, God-pleasing giving? Well, number one, set it aside in keeping with whatever you gain. So your giving should in some way be proportional, tied to the blessings God has given you. We call that percentage-based giving. Percentage-based giving. In the Old Testament, that was always 10% of certain things. The Lord ironed that out very clearly in the Old Testament. It wasn't 10% of everything. It was 10% of certain things. It wasn't 9%. It wasn't 11%. It was 10%. And so people say, well, well, pastor, in the New Testament era, we're free from that tithe requirement, right? We don't have to give 10%, do we? And I say, of course not. You are free to give vastly more than 10% if you'd like. <laughs> but that's never what they're asking, is it? <laughs> I don't have to give up to 10%, do I? Good practice for your giving for the gospel mission at your church percentage-based giving. I would love to tell you I give 10%. It's a goal of mine. But right now, as a, as a single-income family with four kids, I'm just not able to do that. The Lord has me using much more of my money in those first three areas, the poor, the taxes, and the family, than I'm able to give in that last area of offering to church. Am I still serving God? Absolutely. Am I still using my money to serve the way the Lord wants me to? Yeah, he's the one that told me, use some of your money to take care of your family and the poor and the taxes. So, okay. But we still find it in our budget, and we do budget, and you should too. We do find it in our budget to give to to our church, to give to the gospel ministry. And in fact, I can say that after paying my my mortgage and my taxes and my food, yeah, my offering to church is the is the next biggest one on the list. So if you want a neat exercise, sit down sometime and just do rough math. What would it look like? What would it look like if you were to give 10% of your income? And do you have a plan to get there? We do. We have a little bit of a plan to, to get up to that 10%. It's a goal of ours. We increase our giving a little bit every year as a percentage. You should too. And it should also be noted, and I don't think this passage is in here, but in Malachi, uh, in Malachi, uh, I want to say chapter 3, and maybe it comes up later in this commandment. In Malachi, this is the one spot, the only spot the Lord says, challenge me, test me in this. Every uh, every other area of 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 life. God says, don't challenge me. Don't test me. But in this area, he says, test me. And it's in giving. Test me in this. He says, see, see if I won't pour out so much blessing on you for bringing in that full tithe that you won't have enough space to store it all. Now that's not to say give to get, right? It's not to say if you give 500 in the offering plate, you're going to get 5,000 back uh, throughout the year. Well, that's selfish motivation for giving, first of all. Second of all, the Lord said you're going to get blessings in return. He didn't say they'd all be financial blessings, right? (laughs) 
So that's one principle of giving. Do it in accord with what you've got. What's the other one? Don't give reluctantly or under pressure. Give as you have determined in your heart. So I can't come to you as a pastor, this would not be God-pleasing, and say, you know, you really, you skunk, you ought to be given 15 20%. And then I'm going to publish, I'm gonna publish uh, the name in the bulletin this Sunday, uh, or, or I'm going to publish it in our, in our church newsletter every year, who gave and how much. I bet we'd solve our financial problems. <laughs> oh, I could I could I could fill that offering plate to the very top if I got into the pulpit and preached a hellfire damnation sermon. Give, 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 or you're going to hell. The offering plate might be full, but all the hearts would be empty. The offering plate might not might be full, but none of it would be pleasing to the Lord because it was done out of compulsion, reluctantly, pride out of greedy fingers by fear. Is that the kind of giving the Lord wants? The Lord just wants you to cheerfully give. And he says, don't, don't give haphazardly. Put some thought behind it. Have some rationale here. And then give. Give joyfully. And of course, as he's giving, he's, he's drawing our eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ and reminding, look at what God gave. God's not a taker. God himself is a giver. He gave you the thing he held most dear and most precious, his beloved son, the blood of God poured for you. The ultimate gift, the ultimate giver. And he says, he, he, it's, it's, it's this invite for you. You are invited to respond. The Lord didn't ask you to be there a dead bump on a log. He says, no, you have an invitation now to come and partake, to come and join in this mission and in this preaching. Bring your gifts. It is a privilege, not a right. It's a privilege, not a burden, to bring our gifts to the Lord. Yes, we do that in the offering plate. But you take care of your family and you pay your taxes and take care of the poor. All of it is a privilege and a blessing, my friends. And don't forget, as the old adage goes, you never see a U-Haul following the hearse. (laughs) You can't take it with you when you go. So why not use it in the way it needs to be used, the way God says it should be used? Use your money and your time and your talents all to the glory of God. And speaking of stewardship of time, 52 minutes and counting. We got to be done. I don't want to be, but we got to be. Hey, I'll see you later. Reach out to me again. Podcast, twicethelutheran.org. Share, like, subscribe. See you next week.